Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Matthew 24 and 41. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. I want to preach to you for a few minutes today on this subject. When he comes, not if he comes. When he comes, will I be ready? When he comes, will I be ready? God bless you. You may be seated. I understand that we had a great ladies' luncheon yesterday. Praise God. I wonder if somebody would like to testify about that. Anybody want to share something that you learned or experienced while you were there? (laughs) I told the choir this morning, it was amazing. Sister Lane was super anointed when she was speaking to us and talking about our treasures in heaven and she told just a couple testimonies about miracle signs and wonders and about how we should be having those in our church services and we should be seeing miracles. She said that one, there was a little girl, I don't know if she went to their church or not, but she had a blood disorder and the doctors had um, told her that there was no hope. They had done everything that they could. I think she was eight years old and she was like on the make-a-wish list and they sent her to Disney World and they said, sorry, that's it. And they prayed for her and she went back to the doctor and she had completely new blood. They could not explain it. They didn't know how. They could not explain what had happened. Praise God. So that was one of them. And then my, the, my most favorite one, I just love it when doctors can't explain what happened. When <laughs> they always have an answer for everything except for when we go in. <laughs> well, there was this lady and she had kidney failure. And when she was um, young, like in her teens, they removed one of her kidneys. And then her other kidney started to fail. And she was prayed for by one God-believing saints. And she went back in to have, um, well, first, she, they told her that she was going to have to have her other kidney taken out. And they were going to have to put her on dialysis. And she went in to have some final tests done. And she said, the doctor came running down the hall with the x-rays. And he said, I removed that kidney. I was the one that removed that kidney. I know it was gone. And on her x-rays, she had two healthy kidneys. No problems. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Uh, Not related to the ladies, but I asked Brother Imel. He shared a testimony with me the other day, and I asked him if he would share it with you. Good morning. And thank you, Pastor, for the time to just share the goodness and greatness of God. has anybody gone through a season of times where God has, has worked on you? 
my wife tells me all the time, she says, you know, I, I'm nothing but a work in progress, and I really believe that. But we've gone through a series of events this past year, and Pastor asked me to share a little bit. But he, he took us through a couple things, and the first one was um, he, he was working with teaching us a little bit about humility again and, and relationships. And I don't want to go into a lot of those details, but um, last uh, January, I think most of you, you know, my wife broke her leg. And there's so many times we look at the things that happens in our lives and we think, you know, oh my gosh, why did this happen? And God, why did you do this? But there's so many blessings that came out of this. And, and if I can give a little plug to, to our prayer chain, um, for anybody who hasn't ever been involved in a prayer chain or, or um, prayed in the prayer chain, please get involved because we all go through a time in our lives where we're, I know we did. We, we felt like, like Moses, and we're sitting on that rock watching Joshua in a battle. And, and there's so many times where you just think, I can't do this anymore. And, and Moses had to have two of his assistants come and help raise his hands up. And a, and a big thank you to you people, because you were lifting our hands up, and you were the ones who went to God and beseeched for us while we were down in the mud struggling. Um, but I'm here to tell you that in all the things that went on in that whole time, um, Mary wasn't able to work, as you all know. I mean, she couldn't hardly move. And Mary's kind of a worrier. <laughs> and she said, you know, how are we going to pay our bills? And, and how are we going to do all this? And I told Pastor this. Out of the goodness of God, some of her customers were so gracious. They were writing out checks left and right. And some were $1,000. We didn't have to worry about any of our bills because the money just kept coming in. So thank you, Lord. And, and for any of you who haven't ever been sick or ill that, that haven't had to rely on the ladies' ministry, what a blessing you ladies are. <laughs> yeah, praise God. We, we had more food in our freezer and our refrigerator than what we knew. And Mary kept saying to me, My, God's got to close his storehouse of blessings because I don't have the freezer left to put this stuff in. But you know what? The most amazing thing happened is just this last couple of weeks that I shared with Pastor, and, and excuse me if I get a little emotional, but it's very, very precious to me. Um, as most of you know, we, um, we have our grandson living with us, and we just went through a period of time where his mom said that she wanted to, to get him back in custody. She wanted to take him to her house and, and resume being a mom, which, which believe me is a good thing. You know, I'm Praise you ladies for all that you do in our lives because moms are great. But she needs to change some things of how she lives and what she believes and she's just, she's not ready to be a mom. She's not ready to be Devon's mom. There were some terrible things that happened. But anyway, she filed a request in the court um, to get her custody back. So Mary and I, forgive me, Lord, I've had to go and say this over and over, but you start to worry, you know? You start to think, what if, and, and what, happen, what happens if this goes on, and what am I going to do if, if Devon leaves, and what's going to happen to him, and all those things happen, and you think about them. But I told Mary, and, and I, I've said this over and over, you know, I serve an awesome God, and my God isn't one that is going to raise this little boy up who loves him dearly, and make him seven years old, and throw him to the wolves, and get him chewed up. That's not my God. My God loves this little boy, and he's going to protect him, and he, and he has. So it came time for court, and it was a day we had to go in, and we had to be there at 1.30, and we got up in the morning, and, and I just told Mary, I just, I'm just going up to play my guitar. <laughs> I just want to spend some time singing and praying to God, and I did. 
and just a peace came over me. I, I can't explain it. I, I don't always know why, but I just felt good about the day. So we, we headed up there, and, and as you get closer to battle, sometimes the emotions start to go again, and you start to worry again, and, and the mud's flowing over you. But again, I know God's prayer was coming through our people and our pastors, and everybody was watching out for us, and most of all, my God was. And do you remember the story of Jericho? Well, that's how our day was. We, we walked in there with this big old tub of paperwork. Now, this has been a seven-year case, and we had a big tub of paperwork. We still do. And we walked in there, and, and her attorney um, was sitting there, and he walked over and introduced himself, and he kind of looked at Mary in this tub, and he's going, what did you bring all of this for? And he said he wanted to start flea bargaining and make it a deal with us. And, and we told him, no, we aren't here to flea bargain. We said that the things that have happened have, have bordered on child abuse. If you look at the dictionary terms of what child abuse is, that's what's been going on. And he said, well, he looked at me and he said, um, I was a guardian at Lightham. And for any of you that don't know, that's uh, an attorney that represents little kids. Um, he said, I was a guardian at Lightham for 40 years and I would never do that to a, to a, a child. And Mary, in the meantime, had been praying. <laughs> and she said, there were angels everywhere in that waiting room. And um, she looked at this man and she said, then if that's true, then you're an answer for prayer, a prayer of a little boy. And, he, and she looked at him and said, and I'm here to tell you one thing. You don't know your client. You don't know the history of what's going on because you can't say you love the little boy and would say all these things. And he gave her a real funny look. And about this time, um, Devon's mom and all the other attorneys came in, and he started to have some little meetings. First he had one with Devon's mom, and then he called a guardian at Lightham for Devon and the other attorneys into the courtroom. And they were gone, I'm, I'm thinking, 10 minutes or so, and they had this, this big meeting. And he walks out of that meeting, and he walks up, to Devon's mom. Now you got to remember Devon's mom is, has been suffering with things like bipolar where she'll just flip out and, and get severely angry and start cursing and, and hitting and things like that. And she sat there and didn't move. And he walked out and he walked up to her and he said, I'm here to tell you we're canceling this case. He said, obviously I don't know a whole lot of what's been going on. And Mary and I are looking at each other. It's like, I, I can't believe I just heard what happened. We walked into the courtroom, and he, he sat down, this attorney sat down on his bench, and a judge came in, and the judge asked him, he said, Is there, uh, are you ready to, to, to start today? And he said, Your Honor, he said, some things have come to my attention, he said, and I'm here to tell you we're pulling back our case. And the judge sat back in his chair, and he, his eyes kind of got scrunched up, and, and he said, Oh? And he stood up, and he said, um, he, he kind of walked over towards the other attorneys and he said, I just was in a meeting with these other attorneys and I'm here to tell you that I obviously don't know a whole lot of history here. I want to cancel this case. We aren't prepared. He walked over by Devon's mom and said, we have a lot of work to do. And then he did something really weird. He walked back over towards the judge and he said, Your Honor, and I request a psychiatric evaluation for my, my client. We didn't, we didn't say a word. Thank you, God. All of our fretting and all of our worrying, and, and we didn't even have to march around the building. We, did, we walked in there and didn't, literally didn't say a word to hardly anybody, and, and God crumbled the walls, and, 
And God saved a little boy's life. So thank you for your prayers and thank you, Lord God. How's that for a miracle? Amen. Amen. All right. Um, Brother Anthony Zenobia, I apologize to you for plagiarizing your material. I'm just going to be honest. I've stole it. I'm going to use it. He talked uh, in a Sunday school class a few weeks ago about the five uh, customs of the Jewish wedding ceremony, and it was excellent, and a lot of you didn't get to hear it. So I'm going to steal it and use it, okay? Um, to understand our place and purpose in marriage, we have to understand what the Jewish wedding was all about. And so today, with the, uh, with the time that I have left, I want to share some of that with you today because it's going to be a great blessing to you. A great blessing. Now you are going to, I'm going to preach today. I'm going to do some teaching and a little bit of preaching and you're going to be preaching with me because you're going to be ahead of me. You're going to say, oh, I see how that relates. Oh, I, I, yeah, I get that. I, I understand. And that's okay. As long as you understand that we are this close to the coming of the Lord. We are this close. And when he comes, I want to be ready. Don't you? When he comes, I want to be ready. So let me run through these quickly. Five customs to a Jewish wedding. Number one is the arrangement or the matchmaking. Now how this takes place is that the father of the groom meets with the father of the bride-to-be and they agree on a match. It's the papas, like the fiddler on the roof. You're gonna see a lot of that in this message. It's the papas that agree on the match. Now when the match is made, the groom will purchase the bride at an agreed price. At that time, the groom and the bride will make vows and they will make commitments to each other. And then the third element is that the bride will actually pay a dowry to the groom. So there is an exchange of monies here. The second thing that happens is what's called the engagement ceremony. The first thing that happens in the engagement ceremony is that both the groom and the bride-to-be have a ceremonial washing. They are immersed in water. This is a spiritual cleansing. Anybody preaching with me today? a spiritual cleansing that takes place in this relationship. They will also exchange vows and usually rings. If they don't exchange rings, they will exchange something of great financial value. At that point, they are legally married, but they will not live together they will each go back to their father's house 
and they will live under their father's roof, usually for up to a year. Up to a year. Even though they are legally married. Then begins the third thing, the preparation period. Each of them now has a responsibility during this preparation period. The responsibility of the groom is he will build a dwelling place or a house. Usually that dwelling place will be attached to his father's house. That's his job to provide a house. And that's what he works on. The bride, on the other hand, prepares herself for the wedding. One prepares the house, the other prepares themselves. She will take the money that was received and she will use it to make her wedding garments. The one for the actual ceremony and the clothes that she will wear after that ceremony. It's her job to prepare herself. She will change all of her relationships. Those that were improper, people that she would not, uh, her groom would not want her to be associated with, those will all cease. It's all a part of her preparation process. It's like Brother Steve Kiley talked about in the adult class today, about how after he received the Holy Ghost and he was driving down the road in his car and he put in the eight track of the Black Sabbath and the Lord spoke to him and said, we don't listen to that kind of music. And he said, yes, Lord. Took it out and started throwing eight tracks out the window while he's driving. Now that's illegal, but he got rid of all that. Can I say something to you folks? We haven't given up anything to serve the Lord. We haven't given up anything. We have gained everything. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. All that other stuff that was attached to us, we were better off without it. Can I get an amen to that? Most of you, you wouldn't be here this morning if you were doing what you used to do. You'd be hung over. You know the quietest day of the week? Sunday morning. Man, you can go for a walk and you don't even have to look for traffic. Nobody's out and about anymore. We haven't given up anything and we have gained everything. But she's preparing herself. And then there's the actual wedding ceremony. Approximately one year later. This wedding is that ceremony is going to be set up a year in advance. But the father of the groom is the one that sets the date. And he tells nobody. He doesn't say, on June the 1st, we're going to have this ceremony. Nope, he just says, I'll let you know when. You want to know why? Because they're supposed to be prepared at a moment's notice for the groom's arrival and for the ceremony to take place. That's why this passage of scripture that I read to you earlier makes so much sense. In an hour you think not, 
You don't know the time. Even Jesus, as a man, said, no man, no man, and that included him as a man, knoweth the hour. But my father, he knows. Another reason that it was set up approximately one year in advance was because we wanted to be sure that there was no infidelity with this virgin since their commitment. She's not pregnant. She's prepared herself. She's living as a virgin, waiting for her groom. We need to keep ourselves pure, folks. I won't go back, can't go back. What's there to go back to? I've burned my ships. I've thrown away my eight tracks. Gotten rid of things that would not be proper for my newfound most important relationship in the world, and that is my relationship with God. It's all a part of the preparation. Now the father of the groom will call the friend of the groom and tell him to make the announcement that the bridegroom cometh. Go out into the streets, tell everybody that the bridegroom is on his way. He's going to get his bride. The groom will then go to the bride's house to get her, unannounced. No phone calls, no emails, no texting. He just shows up and says, the time has come and I'm here to take you to my father's house where we're going to have our ceremony. And so he brings her to the father's house for the ceremony. The final ceremony and the prayer when they are completed bring in the consummation of the marriage and for the first time there's an intimacy between the bride and the groom. All the rest had been preparation. I'm gonna spill the beans here a little bit. Some of us have sat back and we've served God a number of years and we've said, when is he coming? When is he coming? And none of us know. People have done all kinds of dumb things, you know, to say that he's coming on a certain date. Don't be trapped into that. Do not fall into that trap. Oh, I'm a great prophet of God. I've, I've studied the scripture and I know exactly when the Lord is coming and he's coming on this feast or he's coming on that date. Don't believe it. Don't fall for that. 88 reasons why the Lord is coming on a certain date in 1988. Didn't happen. Do you know people are so silly that they were so convinced that the Lord was gonna come on a certain date that they went out and bought everything on credit so that they could use it before the date. Of course, then they had all the bills. Other people climbed up on their roofs waiting for the Lord to rapture them. True story, in one city that this happened, 
The town idiot got out a trumpet and blew the trumpet and people jumped off their roofs. Because they thought that they knew, but you don't know and neither do I. And it's not meant for us to know. We need to plan like there's a tomorrow, but we need to live like this is the last day of our lives. We need to come to the house of God and when God speaks to us, we respond immediately. Not someday, not later. Even salvation is meant to be today. Today is the day of salvation. So go ahead and plan like there's a tomorrow. But live like this is the last day. And then the fifth thing in their Jewish custom is the actual wedding feast. The wedding feast. The wedding feast at a Jewish wedding lasts seven days. Not just a few hours. But seven days. Seven days of music. Seven days of feasting. Seven days of reacquainting yourself with your friends and with your family. Seven days. Now let me connect the dots in case you missed any of them. Do you know that we are all meant to be the bride of Christ? It's God's will that none would perish. He's not exclusive, he's inclusive. Calvary was the purchase price paid by the groom for the bride. He gave his very life and his blood for the bride of Christ. That's what Calvary was about. And of course, there's the vows that exist, covenant. You know, there's a difference between agreement and covenant. Did you know that? People can agree on something, but when somebody makes a covenant with you, it is expected that no matter what the other person does, you will keep the agreement. I won't go back. I can't go back. I've entered into a covenant. I've made an agreement. There is no decision to be made. The decision has already been made. I'm going to finish what I've started. And he's able to keep me and that which I have given to him against that day. And while I'm talking, just popped into my head. Sam Zenobia said something about decisions one time. I never forgot it. See, I don't want to plagiarize people without giving them credit. But Sam Zenobia said something that staggered me initially, and the more I thought about it, he was right. He said this. He said, when you make a decision, God doesn't have one. Now, when you first heard that, you went, wait a minute, you telling me God doesn't have a decision? I don't like the sounds of that. God always has a right to make a decision. But think carefully about what I just said. When you make a decision, God doesn't have one. You decide you want to not believe in God? 
He that believeth and is baptized, it's an agreement. He established it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You say, I don't agree. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to obey. He's got an answer for that too. And he that believeth not shall be damned. You made a decision. God doesn't have one. You obey, then the promises of God come. You disobey, God doesn't have a decision. The curses come. His word declares what he's going to do in every situation. The choices are yours. You decide, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You make a choice for you. I make a choice for me. Man, I, I love that song we used to sing. So you decide for you, and I'll decide for me. And since the choice is mine, this is what I choose to be. Nobody's holding a gun to my head. This is how I want to live. Because I am the bride of Christ. And as the bride, I am to be submissive. Can I get an amen? I am to be submissive to the groom. Let me talk to you about submission. Some people think submission is when you agree with somebody. No, no, that's agreement. If if somebody asks something of you and you agree with that, that's an agreement. But if somebody asks something of you in authority and you disagree with them, yet you comply, that's submission. So to be submissive, when we disagree or we don't understand, we respond with, yes, Lord. That is submission. That's submission. The vows, the washing, the consecration, they all come together in the plan of salvation. This is a life-changing decision that we're making here, folks. This is not just a cross that you put around your neck or a bumper sticker on your car or a T-shirt that says, I'm a Christian. This is who we are, not not just with words, but by actions, by the decision process, by integrity. Even if we lose in a deal, we keep our word. I had a very pleasant experience the other day. I have, I have a, an, an older pontoon boat that needs some repairs, and I talked to the man about it, and, and uh, we came to an agreement. And he said, this is what it's going to cost. This is what I'm going to do. Do you like this deal? And I said, you know what? I do like this deal. And you know what he did? He didn't ask me to sign a piece of paper. He stuck out his hand. And he said, if you like this deal, then shake on it. And I took his hand and I shook it and he said, this is a done deal. Now, if he breaks his word... I can't break mine. Because I agreed 
to the deal. It's refreshing to know that there are still some people like that, though. Now, some people want you to sign a sheet this long, the print is about that big, it would take you, you don't have glasses that could see that. Just sign on the bottom, trust me. But it's refreshing to know that there are still some people that you can take them at their word. I hope that that you are that kind of a person, even if you lose on the deal. Acts 2 and 37, Peter had preached the first message. Now they were asking the question because they felt conviction. Acts 2 and 37 reads, when they heard what Peter said, they were pricked in their heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. This is the most important part in the plan of salvation. Now you're gonna disagree with me. Initially you're gonna say no, it's the new birth of the water and the spirit. But if we have not repented, if we have not made a decision, if we are not willing to turn our back on previous relationships and previous lifestyles and devote ourselves exclusively to the groom, all you're getting is people wet and excited. And they won't stick. They'll stay a while, but they'll be like the soil that's talked about, the four soils that Jesus talked about. Repentance is vital. It's the place of commitment and consecration and vows that are taken even though we don't see him, even though we're not there. It's vitally important. So he said, you need to start there. You repent. And then there's the washing. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Why the name of Jesus Christ? Because the groom purchased the church with his blood. And his blood is the only thing that can remit our sins. And when we're baptized in water, representing the cleansing agent of his blood, In the name of the groom, our sins are remitted. We are spiritually cleansed. I hope I'm making this so simple that you can understand it. We need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So where is the groom right now? What is the groom doing if the bride is preparing herself? Jesus answered that question in John 14, verse one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Here he is. I go to prepare a place for you because that's what the groom does. I was cutting the grass yesterday and this thought popped into my mind. If God could create the earth in six days and how magnificent it is, what could he do in 2,000 years? 
eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Boy, we got something to look forward to, folks. Something to look forward to. And if I go and prepare a place for you, watch this. The groom is coming. I will come again. I will receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. I'm going to come and get you and we're going to be together forever. And I'm here today to say the bridegroom is coming and we need to be ready. Let me give you an example of the first friend of the bridegroom. Matthew 3, 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness saying, repent, there it is again. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. What is he saying? The groom is about to appear. So repent, prepare yourselves. He went on to say, um, for this is what, that which was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Prepare yourself. How will we arrive? How will we get to this place that he spoke of? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14 reads this way. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede those which are asleep, or meaning they are dead. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. For those of you that don't like shouting, get over it and get used to it. Because the Lord is going to descend with a shout. I left the doubters. I joined the shouters. I found someone and something worth shouting about. Praise God. And he's going to descend from heaven with a shout. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord of the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. If this isn't the marriage that we're talking about, and the wedding ceremony, and the customs. If you can't see it, you're just not looking. He's coming to get us. He's taking us from this house to that house. It's either that house or the outhouse. And the outhouse ends with outer darkness. I want that house. I want that house. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And what about the wedding ceremony? Revelations chapter 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him 
for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Look at this. What are we doing? His wife hath made herself ready. I'm ready. I wonder how many of you here today could say, I'm ready. I'm ready. If he comes right now, I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Well, you know, there's some things I'd like to do with my life, some accomplishments, some goals, some, some things I'd like to succeed in. Don't put that above his coming. Well, I'm not ready to go today, Brother Kylie, because I got some things I gotta work out with somebody that offended me or somebody that hurt my feelings. Some things are in the works that I just can't seem to get over. Remember the word I taught you, gooey, G-O-I, get over it. It's not worth missing heaven for. It's not. Forgive them. They know not what they do. They're ignorant. The bride hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, I'm preaching the truth to you today, folks. I'm preaching the truth to you today. These are the true sayings of God. And when he comes, will, be, will we be ready? We weren't ready for him the first time he came. We better be ready for him this time. Don't miss it. We can't afford to miss it. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to last seven years. Remember the, the ceremony? The banquet was seven days. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to last for seven years. Seven years in heaven at a banquet rejoicing with one another and your Savior. Or seven years of tribulation on the earth. Now you get to make the choice because when he comes, not if he comes, will I be ready? Let's stand together. The Lord is not coming for a people that are getting ready. He's coming for a people that are ready. We don't know when. Jesus, I pray today that you will speak to each of us and help us to examine ourselves as to whether or not we are ready, whether or not we really are the bride of Christ. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 
5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.